These are the confidential counsels which Yahuwah gave to Yeshua HaMashiach. Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel. I am here with Rob and Michael tonight, and I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location in Georgia. I'm actually in uh, Crazy Chicken Boy's bedroom, uh, or Andrew, and uh, we had a really awesome, restful Shabbat today. He was baptized. Hopefully he doesn't mind me saying that. So I got to drive out to this undisclosed location in Georgia and baptize him and that was just amazing. Tonight, we are going over Revelation chapter 12 and 13 in the Hebrew Revelation. And this should be a really interesting talk tonight. Once again, I have not passed any notes with um, Rob and Michael. And I will be interested in what they have to say tonight. And this should be really good. So with that, let us go ahead and uh, open prayer. I'll pray tonight. Our dearest Heavenly Father, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim of Yasharel, we humbly come before you and recognize that we are, we fall short of your glory. We are sinners. Um, I, I pray that we continually um, recognize our sin and desire to repent and turn from the ways of this world and seek to be set apart. I know right now in the world there is just some crazy things happening. and. We have the the whole Russia Ukraine situation, and and you know that I'm <laughs> I'm an individual who is always questioning the narrative. I don't believe what they put on the media. I believe the world is scripted, um, and that it's all just an illusion. But I do know that there. While I don't know what to believe, I do know that there are real people that are suffering in this world right now up in Canada, in Australia, in the Ukraine, all over, real people are dying and that there is a terrible, sick, satanic ritual going on right now. And what I pray for is for your elect, for your uh, set apart, for your children that are caught up in this right now, that you would put over your protection over them, that you would guide them, that you would speak to them, um, show them what they need to do. and. Um, yeah, I just, I, pr I just pray for your children scattered across this earth right now and all, across all continents. And I don't know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. But we put our trust and our faith in you. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Yahushua HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKadosh. Amen. All right, Rob, I'm turning it over to you to start reading Revelation chapter 12. Amen. Great. Here with all of the uh, oppression and pharmacia that the enemy is putting forth in this world. All right. I will start with reading Revelation, the Confidential Councils, the Hebrew Revelation, chapter 12. And, and a great sign appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun, and the moon was under her feet, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant and cried out, 
and she was at the point to give birth, and she had much pain because of the birth. And there was another sign in heavens, and I saw a dragon, and he had seven heads and seven horns, and on his horns were seven crowns. And his tail took a third of the stars and cast them on the earth. And the dragon stepped before the woman who would give birth in order to devour the child when he was born. When she gave birth to a son who would lead the nations with a rod of iron, and the son was brought before Yahweh and his throne. Then the woman went into the wilderness, for there a place was prepared for her by Yahweh to sustain her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. And there was war in the heavens, and the messenger Michael with his messengers made war with the dragon. Also his messengers made war with them. But they did not overcome, neither was their place in heaven found any more. So the great dragon was cast out, who is called Hasatan, who destroys and seduces the whole world. And he, with his messengers, were cast in onto the earth to dwell there. Then I heard a great voice in the heavens, which said, Now the might of our Elohim and his Mashiach has appeared, for he is cast out who was as an adversary against them all the time. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and their lives were reckoned to all of them. And because of this, you must rejoice, O heavens, and all who are, who is in them. But woe to those who dwell in the, on the earth and on the sea. For Hasatan went down to you with great burning anger, and he knows that he has a little time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he pursued after the woman who gave birth. But there was given to the woman two wings like a great eagle, to go into the wilderness, and the place that Yavah gave her, to sustain her there a time and two and a half times, away from the dragon. And the dragon cast waters from his mouth after the woman, like a great sea to annihilate her. But the woman had deliverance from the earth, for she opened her mouth and swallowed the waters which the dragon cast after her. Then the dragon was filled with anger because of the woman, and he went to make war with the remaining ones of her seed, who perform the commandments of Yahweh and believe in the testimony of his Mashiach. That is the end of chapter 12, and I'll pass this over to Michael, and we will start with our commentary. Michael? Yes, sir. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Um, great, great prayer, Noel. Um, that was much needed. Um, so I've been working on my notes all day, so hopefully I can share some wisdom for you. I just finished like five minutes before this, so I hope you guys enjoy um, some of the stuff I, I'm bringing to the table here. So Revelation 12. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read both. Start on number one. Um, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve 
and in the Hebrew, a great sign. So that's the first difference. Appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon was under her feet and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. So I wanted to point out that, um, <clears throat> you know, this woman has cosmic significance. Um, she is clothed with the sun. She stands upon the moon. She wears a crown of 12 stars. You know, I'm going to link to Genesis 37, 9 and 10, which records that Joseph had a dream similar to this verse. The dream indicated that the sun, Jacob, and the moon, Rachel, and 11 stars, which were Joseph's brothers, were bowing down to Joseph. So Jacob, the father of Joseph, states, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? So the woman exalted among the sun, moon, and stars. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to talk more about it, but, you know, I just want to point out the cosmic significance and then the possible dream or vision that Joseph had all the way back in Genesis. Um, number four, I'm going to read both. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And in the Hebrew, and his tail took a third of the stars and cast them on the earth, and the dragon stepped. So that's the difference. Um, in the Greek, it's the dragon stood before the woman, and, and in the Hebrew, and the dragon stepped before the woman, who would give birth in order to devour the child when he was born. So I want to, I want to uh, start with Daniel. We've been cross-referencing Revelation and Daniel all throughout the series. Daniel 8 and 9, 8, 9, and 10. So out of one of them came another horn. So there was a horn in the Revelation passage. With started, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens. And here's another, um, same as Revelation. And it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. I just want to point out again that Revelation and Daniel are very similar. Um, so in the first verse, you know, that I talked about, we talked about the cosmic significance and also a dream. I'm willing to bet that whether there was or will be, there will be a physical interpretation. While in this verse, um, it could be visions, but I'm wondering, you know, of the, the literal interpretation would be like Herod trying to kill the babies when Yeshua was born, or like Pharaoh doing the killing of the firstborn. It seems very similar. So I'm seeing a pattern of, you know, a spiritual significance, a cosmological significance, and a literal significance. And it appears... You know, the first two things that I've read here had two out of the three, possibly. Um, number five, I'm going to read the Hebrew. Then she gave birth to a son who would lead the nations with a rod of iron, and the son was brought before Yahweh and his throne. So <clears throat> I thought it was interesting that, you know, I'm big on the churches. The church of Thyatira is promised something similar. So the Revelation 2, 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will, Yeshua's will, which is the Father's will, to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from the Father. I thought that was awesome because our tire is one of the worst churches. <laughs> and um, they're getting the same authority if they do his will to the end that Yeshua even has. Um, two left, and I'll pass it off to Noel. Number six, I'm going to read the Hebrew. Then the woman went into the wilderness, for there was a place prepared for her by Yahweh to sustain her for 1,265 days. Um, you know, we, we, we've always been talking about not only just Daniel, but Exodus. So I want to talk about Deuteronomy 8, about, you know, protection in the wilderness. 
Um, he who led, 15, starting on 15, he who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and its thirsty ground where there was no water. He who brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, it was he who fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, in order to humble you and in order to put you to the test, to do good for you in the end. And I've led you, and this is Deuteronomy 29, and I've led you in the wilderness for 40 years. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. So again, this is just talking about preparing a place in the wilderness and, you know, Yah testing and, and also providing during those times. And then finally, and I'll pass it off to Noah to split it up. Number seven, I'm going to read the Hebrew. It says, uh, and there was a war in heaven. The messenger Michael with his messengers made war with the dragon. Also, his messengers made war with him. So I want to talk a little bit about Michael and I'm probably a little biased. <laughs> um, but uh, some some passages and some extra canonical books on him and even a rabbinic tradition. So Jude 9, everybody knows this one. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him an abusive judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Um, in Daniel, Michael is known as the protector of Israel. Um, and then two extra biblical, according to the legends of the Jews, I know Zen quotes from this book a lot, Archangel Michael was the chief of a band of angels who questioned God's Yah's decision to create man on earth. But that was interesting. Um, and then finally, I'm not saying this is 100% true, but I thought it was interesting. According to rabbinic tradition, Michael acted as the advocate of Israel and sometimes had to fight with the princes of the other nations, and particularly with the angel Samael, Israel's accuser. Michael's enmity against Samuel dates from the time when the latter was thrown down from heaven. Samuel took hold of the wings of Michael, whom he wished to bring down with him in his fall. But Michael was saved by Yah. Michael said, may the Lord rebuke you to Satan for attempting, okay, to claim the body of Moses. So that's the same thing I already read. So, But um, that's all I have. I just wanted to give a little bit more on Michael and share what I found. I have a lot more, but I'll pass it off to Noel now. Well, I'm glad you have a lot more because... I don't have, there's a lot going on in this chapter. And if I don't have a lot on this chapter, it's because Revelation chapter 12 has long uh, perplexed me. And it's one of those things that there's a lot of different thoughts on this. Most of the people listening, or uh, if you've been around within the Torah community or the Flat Earth community for the last several years, you guys all know about the Revelation 12 sign. I might as well bring that up. Don't want that being the elephant in the room. And uh, it was, I think, September 23rd, 2017. I remember that day very well. I remember waking up and watching Virgo come up over the horizon. It was a very beautiful experience. Uh, I had a perfect view, um, unhampered. And a lot of people will talk about how there was uh, like a spiritual paradigm that they felt they passed through at that time. Now, I'm not saying that that is um, what it was pointing to. I'm not saying that. I just wanted to throw that out there. But but as Michael pointed out, it is really fascinating in the book of Revelation that you see three things going on at once. I think he had mentioned three things. We see uh, astrological uh, signs in the heavens. We see spiritual connotations of meanings and physical things happening at the same time. Now, this is one of the things that confuses me, and maybe maybe Michael and Rob can solve this tonight. I, I did pass this by them earlier this week and said how frustrated I was trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure out who is this woman. 
All right. Now let me let me give you some of the the frustrations I see. A lot of people will say, well, this is referring to the birth of Messiah. One of the problems I have with that is that, uh, let's see, where does it talk? Oh, in verse 2 it says, and she was pregnant and cried out, and she was at the point, um, and she was at the point to give birth, and she had much pain because of the birth. Well, here's my problem with this being the Virgin Mary. Isaiah 66 Verse 7 says, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. And now that comes from canon. And as I pointed out in this group before, if you followed what we were going through with the, some of the extra biblical books, like the Infancy Gospel of Yaakov, the, uh, we never read the Infancy Gospel of Matthew, but that covers it as well, that Yahusha was born without her, without Miriam going through um, a childbearing pains. And I think Isaiah backs that. So I'm looking at this going, I'm not sure that's, that's Mary. Maybe it is, but it doesn't seem to connect with, with Isaiah and some of the other things we've seen. Then I look at it, well, is this the Ruach HaKadosh? Well, you know, I, I again, though, we have the problem was why is she in childbearing? bearing pain. I don't think it's her. A lot of people will say, well, no, it's the church age. Well, wait a second here. I thought the church age started, the congregation started at Sinai. So what's going on with that? Um, also, I think it's interesting to note that she is going into the wilderness. Now, if I were to do a, uh, if I were to back up a lot of, uh, or cross-reference a lot of scripture, I would imagine that you could find a lot about evil spirits being thrown into the wilderness, right? Like, why is she going into the wilderness? Now, you know, from a, from a historical perspective, I see she's being uh, persecuted, and her child is being persecuted, and the, you know, this dragon is trying to consume it. But hopefully you guys see where I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what in the world's going on? <clears throat> now, again, I don't have a lot of notes on Revelation 12. I do have a lot on Revelation 13, so I'm glad we're doing this back-to-back, -back because I do think that there's going to be a payoff, and I can't prove this to you guys, but I do feel like what is happening in Revelation 12 has something to do with emperors or Caesars, uh, Vespasian and Titus. All right, so think about that, and I'm going to revisit that in Revelation 13. For now, there's just one thing I do want to, rather than just throwing out my confusion with this chapter and why I'm having a hard time grasping uh, what's going on here, there is something I want to talk about, about the water. Now, we know that Satan can um, cause water floods um, or even be depicted as water. We saw that, in, I think it's the book of Jasher, when it's talking about Abraham has taken Yitzchak for the, the sacrifice, that Satan comes at him as a flood of water. That's a really interesting passage. But that's not really what's being talked about here. I also, just, just so that this is not the elephant in the room, I do not believe this is talking about the mud flood events. Um, it, it could be, but I don't think it is. Here's what I think is being described here. And this is where we're going to get into Emperor Titus in the next chapter. And think about what we read last week with um, Revelation 11 describing the temple, the second temple uh, that was still standing there, that was being trampled by the Goyim. So, water itself represents Goyim or Gentile nations. So, I'll go through a few scripture verses that talk about that. 
The first, I'll go ahead and type some of these in into ScriptureBot, comes from Daniel 11.10. This is what it says. But his sons shall stir themselves up and assemble a great army, and he shall certainly come and overflow and pass through, then return to... Oh, wait. It doesn't speak about water. What in the world? Okay. All right. Well, okay. My version says he will sweep on like an irresistible flood. So for some reason, BibleBot, thank you, BibleBot, for messing that up. You know, I'm not going to quote from, I'm not, I'm upset at BibleBot, so I'm not going to be quoting from BibleBot tonight. Um, let's go to, uh, again, Daniel 1140 says the same thing. And at the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. So in both cases, we see a great army, naval force. They're coming on like a flood. This comes from Isaiah 17, 12. Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. All right, this comes from Isaiah 65. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. So here we see it in the context of the wealth of the seas. Not the best one, but go on, moving on. Jeremiah 46, verse 7 through 8. Woe is this that rises like the Nile, like rivers of surging waters? Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers of surging water. She says, I will rise and cover the earth. I will destroy cities and their people. So here, Egypt coming in is depicted as rising water. In Jeremiah 47, verses 7 through 8. Uh, no, verses 47, verses 1 through 2. So skipping a few verses earlier. We see, see how the waters are rising in the north. They will become an overflowing, overflowing torrents. They will overflow the land and everything in it. The towns and those who live in them, the people will cry out. All who dwell in the land will wail because of these rising waters. Uh, Jeremiah 51, uh, verses 55 through 56 says, Yahuwah will destroy Babylon. He will silence her noisy din. Waves of enemies will rage like great waters. The roar of their voices will resound. A destroyer will come against Babylon. Her warriors will be captured and their bows will be broken. In Ezekiel 26.3 we read, Therefore this is what the uh, sovereign Yahuwah says, I am against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. And this is interesting because this is uh, referring to the Prince of Tyre, I believe, in this passage. Uh, or maybe not. I'd have to read more of it. But uh, finally, we see Nahum chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make the end of Nineveh. And we knew that we know that Nineveh was destroyed um, uh, by a great army that swept in. So whatever is happening here, my, my suggestion as Satan is trying to overwhelm, overcome this woman and her child, that it is this, this water that is coming in is a great army that is sweeping over the land. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Rob. Yes, thank you, Noel. Um, I agree with you regarding the army sweeping in. And um, um, I'll... I'm going to talk about uh, the first two verses here with the with the woman 
And I'm going to uh, position the thought of comparing the woman is or is like wisdom. And I'll drop a slide in while I read this here. And so a great sign appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon was under her feet and her head was crowned with 12 stars and she was pregnant right out. And she was at the point to give birth and she had much pain because of the birth or crisis. So to answer your question you were asking, Noel, before is the, 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 the pain from the birth. I don't believe so. I believe that it, I was talking with Ronit on the Hebrew on this, and that was that. That's also translated as crisis. So it doesn't mean her pains was coming from the birth. It was coming from the crisis at hand with the with the uh, dragging waiting to devour, and uh, the situation. So that's that. That was my thought on that. So I think that can align up with what you're originally thinking. Uh, then I want to add some scriptures to, to talk about this. Uh, Sirach 24.8, Then the creator of all things gave wisdom a commandment, and he that created me made my tabernacle to rest and said, Let your tabernacle be in Jacob and your inheritance in Israel. So here, uh, wisdom dwells only in Jacob, the house of Israel. Uh, we have uh, Baruch 3. I got some verses here uh, scattered with 23 through 37. The sons also of a God that sought understanding, none knew the way of wisdom or remembered her path. Yah didn't choose the giants, nor did he give the way of knowledge to them. So the giants perished because they had no wisdom. They perished through their own foolishness. He has found out that, found out all the way of knowledge and has given it to Jacob, his servant, and to Israel, that is beloved of him. Afterward, did she appear on earth, wisdom, and was conversant with men. So we see the way of knowledge uh, and wisdom is given to Israel. Uh, and then Matthew here we see, uh, but Yahushua said, I wasn't sent to anyone but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Yahushua is, is only coming back for the lost sheep, the people of Israel, not the land of Israel. So I just wanted to clarify that where this woman referencing uh, she's pregnant, she's going to give birth. Uh, so the... The child, the children, etc., are all related to um, the set apart ones. And then I'm going to move to uh, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to speak to that about uh, giving birth to a son. And so here we have then she gave birth to a son who would lead the nations with a rod of iron, and the son was, was brought before Yahweh and his throne. Then the woman went into the wilderness, for there a place was prepared for her by Yahweh to sustain her there 1260 days, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years. And we also read in the last chapter, the nations will tread down the set-apart city of the holy city and the temple for 42 months. The two witnesses are also prophesying 
for 42 months, three and a half years. So could all of these three things be happening at the same time, uh, time period, time frame, uh, in, co, uh, in, in, in unison? So that's something I wanted to mention. And then going into the wilderness, I, didn't, I, did, I wanted to pull up other verses on the wilderness because I did this before and I didn't have the time to pull them up. But wilderness uh, t is talking about, you know, it obviously means like a de desert, deserted place. And there's a lot that can be said about the wilderness. And when in Exodus, it, it references them wandering around in the desert as the wilderness. So usually it's, it's a time of self-learning, um, uh, being set apart in, in that wilderness. So there's not always a negative connotation on that. It is, it is a place uh, that is in, that you are in that is not like uh, the world, so to speak. Uh, next, I want to hit on the the beast. Let me drop this. So this beast here on verse 3, it says here, And there was another sign in the heavens, and I saw a dragon. And he had seven horns, seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads, head, heads, yeah, were seven crowns. So this fourth beast. Uh, we read in Daniel 7.23 that this is what he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. So it's different. It's not like it's the structure. I mean, just think it, 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 it's totally different from what we think and known about historical kingdoms. It's set up differently. It's operating differently. And that's why it is so easy to deceive the world the way it's set up. And it says, uh, it's different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour. I looked up that word devour uh, in Aramaic, and it can also be translated as tame. So when you, when you really read it that way, it makes total sense. The fourth kingdom on earth will be different from all the other kingdoms and will tame the whole earth and tread it down. We just read about treading it down for 42 months and break it to pieces. And that, that's where Revelation 11.1, 1, the nations will tread down, okay? And then that word for tame is right there. In, you know, I, I'm showing the pictograph and the, and the meaning of it. It's, it's pictured as uh, the, uh, you know, the bent palm and the shepherd's staff. When combined, it's uh, tame for the yoke. An animal or land, or land animal that is tamed has been worked and is complete and ready for use. And that is what is going on in this world. People are working uh, and consumed with this world and becoming tamed to anything <laughs> and not questioning anything. So I wanted to point that out. That is what I see the fourth, fourth beast doing from what I gathered um, in reading this. And then I'll... Uh, add some more context to this on the fourth beast. Uh, we see also here in Daniel, I'm going to read some verses that will give us some more insight. Until the Ancient of Days, and where we're in that now, reading this on, on Revelation, came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. This is what he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will 
be different from all the other kingdoms and will tame the whole earth and tread it down and, and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns out of the kingdom, ten kings will arise, another will arise after them, and will be different from the previous ones, and will humble the three kings, and he will speak against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the highest one. He will intend to make alterations in timelines and in religion. So that's another verse that I worked with Ronit on with the Aramaic. And that is what we got out of that. He will intend to make alterations in timelines and in religion. And they will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a times. Once again, 42 months, three and a half years. But the court will convene for judgment. And his dominion will be taken away. And we're going we're gonna to read reading about that, where his dominion is taken away. He's kicked out uh, of the heavens and so forth. Annihilate and destroy it forever. Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people, the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the empires will serve and obey him. Yavah. Then I, then I, okay, this is important. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which came, which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. So he's witnessing the destruction of this beast. But then it says the rest of the beasts. Dominion was taken away with an extension of life for an appointed season of time. So these beasts, the rest of these beasts are coming back. They will be given an extension of time. And that's where I see us being with this. This is that extension of time where these beasts are now, uh, uh, now that we're in. And then lastly, I'll, um, I'm splitting my stuff up. So this will be my, my halfway mark. And this is, this is regarding the, uh, the dragon wars in heaven. So verses 7 through 9. And, and there was war in the heavens. And the messenger Michael with his messengers, made war with the dragon, and also his messengers, the, the adversaries, made war with them. But they did not overcome. The adversaries' messengers did not overcome. Neither was there a place in heaven found anymore. So they are not able, or, or I, I guess the word would be able, to, to be there again, because there's no place for them to be found anymore. So at this point, they aren't, they aren't up in, in, the, in the high heavens anymore, only the lowers down here on earth. So the great dragon was cast out, who is called Hasatan, who destroys and seduces the whole world. And he, with his messengers, were cast onto the earth to dwell there. So that's, this is their realm, and they can't go any higher or further. And so this is where they dwell, and this is where they work, and this is why we see... So much more uh, ramping up of the enemy's works uh, in what he is doing. So with that, I will do my second part after next go around. Michael, off to you. All right. Thanks, Rob. Um, let's start with number nine. I'm going to read both. And I thought there's a, a lot of differences in this chapter of Revelation. So, and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, 
and his angels were, were cast out with him. And in the Hebrew it says, So the great dragon was cast out, who is called Hasatan, who destroys and seduces the whole world. And, and he with his messengers were cast out onto the earth. So I want to talk about, you know, you notice it's, he's not called the old serpent in, in the Hebrew. So it, it both equates the dragon, it both calls him Satan or the devil. But in the Greek it says he's, that old serpent is removed. Um, it also mentions that he seduces instead of deceives the world. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I'd be interested to see, like, I don't know, to me that's, <clears throat> that's like a romantic, that's like a, you know, sexual thing. Um, I wonder if it links to serpent seed or anything like that. But the, the seduces in Hebrew, strong, 6601, patha, um, usually figuratively in a mental or moral sense, um, to make simple in a sinister way, to delude, allure, deceive, enlarge, entice, flatter, persuade, and silly one. Um, the word is used 28 times in the Old Testament, but I just wanted to highlight Proverbs 1.10. It's the same word. My son, if sinful men entice or seduce you, do not give in to them. So it's linking sinful men with enticing or seducing you into their ways. Um, number 10, I'm going to read the Greek. Um, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. I just, again, I just want to point out the accuser, another accordonology. Who is the accuser in a court? You know, it's it's the prosecutor. He's, he's accusing based on what? Based on the law. Satan knows the law just as well. You know, he needs, that's that's how he's accusing us. He's like, oh, look at that guy. Look at what Job, you know. Same thing he did with Job, right? Um, number 14, I'm going to read both. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And in the Hebrew, but there was given to the woman two wings like a great eagle, to go into the wilderness, into the place that Yahweh gave her, to sustain her for a time. For, to sustain her there a time, a two and a half times away from the dragon. Um, just a real quick cross-reference, again, more so either Daniel or Exodus, it seems like Revelation is quoting. Um, you, Exodus 19.4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I think as Rob said, it, wilderness is not always bad. You know, it, it is a protection. It's definitely a trial too and temptation and you're giving up your Babylonian your Egyptian ways but you know he's bringing you there um, number 16 I'm going to read the Hebrew but the woman had deliverance from the earth for she opened her mouth and swallowed the waters which the dragon cast out um, so the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up you know these words while, while not exactly but can be linked to the narrative of the earth opening up her mouth and swallowing up Korah, Dathan and Abiram in numbers and um so in that instance, let's see, she opened up and smiled the way. Yeah, I guess it's the same. So in that instance, they swallowed up and those individuals went into the earth. And in this instance, the waters were, were swallowed up, um, protecting Israel. Um, and then finally, um, number 17. So I'm going to read both. 
And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And in the Hebrew, then the dragon was filled with anger because of the woman. And he went to make war with the remaining ones of her seed who perform the commandments of Yahweh and believe in the testimony of his Mashiach. So a lot of differences. So he he's filled with anger. Uh, to me, that's better. You know, maybe I just, I just don't know old English. It's just better job than Roth, as the KGV says. It says, what I like about this one, it, it it's more clear. So the remaining ones of her seed. So the, the KGV says remnant, remaining ones. Uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, these are not, these are the, the multitude. Um, it's my opinion that 144, they're not, they're, they're not part of this. So it's the remaining ones of her seed. And of course, as we all know, who perform the commandments of Yahweh and believe in the testimony of Mashiach. So this is the first of three passages in Revelation confirming that the saints will both obey the commandments of Yahweh and hold to the testimony or witness of Yeshua. Obviously, so this one, obviously we know Revelation 14, 12. That's uh, Noel's big verse. And then Revelation 22, 14. Um, so yeah, I thought that was awesome. And this, I just wanted to point out that this is the first of the third. That's all I got on 12. I'll hand it off to Noel. Like I said last time, I don't have a lot on chapter 12. And I, in fact, I want to save talking about the dragon or the beast until the next chapter because I've got a lot of notes. I have like seven pages of notes on that. One thing I did want to point out, though, and I'm trying to remember what Rob said. And Rob, uh, he said something that kind of uh, refresh my memory on something I hadn't thought about for a very long time. But the reason I think where we're pitting this, where I believe this instance of the fleeing into the wilderness takes place, is within the 66 to 70 AD timeline, once again. The temple has not been destroyed yet. And <laughs> I'm just laughing at what Rob put in there. Uh, anyways, so that just <laughs> that took me off my train of thought. That uh, totally okay. So there's a passage in Matthew 24 verse 15, and this again, this is Matthew chapter 24, the big chapter mm -hmm. in which Yahusha is, is telling his disciples and those listening. And remember now, contextually, this is the you 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 chapter. He's speaking when you see these things, when these things happen to you. You know, this generation shall not pass. Some of you will not taste death. And he says this, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And it goes on from there. You guys are all very familiar with that passage. Now what I was trying to do is I was trying to scramble and find this record on the internet. Trying, this is something I actually wrote about several years ago. But obviously I'm in a live discussion and I'm not able to trace my records on this. But we're looking at two Caesars. And I'm going to talk more about them in chapter 13, but Vespasian and Titus. Now, he, he follows in the, in the footsteps of Nero, and it's, this is really important in understanding all this. My understanding, and I say my understanding because I, I can't quote from this directly in a source right now, okay? And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, is that when Vespasian, he, Vespasian did not destroy Yerushalayim, Titus did. 
Vespasian is the father of Titus. He rides up to the uh, to the the beautiful city to Jerusalem, and he surrounds it. And there's there's a bit of a miracle that happens. He actually rides away from it, giving people chance to leave. And I believe that when that happens, that that was where those who knew Messiah and knew his te- teachings were like, I think it's time to leave. I think that that's, you know, coming from Matthew 24, you know, don't go back for anything in your house, get out of there. And I think that this is when they fled into the wilderness. Okay, that that's just my thought on this. I can't prove that. Um, but that's the picture that seems to be forming in my head as we're, you know, looking at all of this being fulfilled in 70 AD. Now, I just want to point out one one thing that a lot of people are accusing me of being a preterist. And I guess at the end of the day, I don't really care. I don't identify with a preterist. I don't self-identify as one. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean I am or am not. Uh, there's a lot of things I disagree with with the preterist. However, I need to point this out. That the case, I'll just say the word, I'll say the dirty word for preterism. The case that Revelation was fulfilled, that it was, it was addressed to the Matthew 24 generation, which was that generation. That Yahushua's generation, it was that it was fulfilled in that generation. The case on that being being true, in my opinion, is so rock solid. They have so much evidence, and the the entire other side of the crowd, which is saying, "No, it's future; it hasn't happened. Your revelation has not happened yet." They've got nothing. They've got nothing because they're saying that they have no evidence to say that it's future. It hasn't happened yet. They've got nothing. But this picture being formed, when we look at this and just see that generation, this picture makes so much sense. Anyways, I'm rambling at this point. That's all I have on this chapter. And I'm going to hand it back, I think, back to you, Rob. And then from then, we'll just go on to uh, Revelation 13. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about verses 10 through 12, the dragon's short time. And the, the only thing I wanted to really talk about that verse uh because we we've read it but uh the thing i want to mention is and and they overcame him okay well let me back a little bit and for he was cast out who was an adversary against them all the time so we see here that he was adversary against them all the time and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and how many times we talk about this, that our testimony is powerful. When we share our testimony with other people, it's a personal, uh, emotional connection that uh, others can relate to. And other people will be able to relate to your story better, especially if it's a shared uh, experience, thought, uh, emotion, etc. And so our testimony being shared authentically can affect people, different people, different ways, instead of just a reading from um, your kind of your uh, robotic scripture verses that you would pump out. It's, it's hearing the testimony for someone else to really see the change, the experience, the, the what, what 
Yah means to you. So it's it's powerful. Okay, and their lives were considered worthless to them all, to all of them. So here we see that the those who overcame, you know, with the blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony, their lives, they considered their lives worthless. And that's what we're doing. We don't consider this life, this world, it's it like Noel was mentioned, it's illu it's it's an illusion. And it is worthless. It is we're passing through this world. Do not get caught up in the things of this world. It, it's worthless to you. We, we are living through it to be lights, to be examples, for we have something greater to come. And because of this, you must rejoice, O heavens, all who are in them. And woe to those who dwell on the earth and on the sea. Prasatan went down to you, burning anger, and he, he knows he has a little time. I just wanted to emphasize on that. So now, now I want to talk about the uh, uh, the dr dragon and wisdom here on some more regarding the signs and the waters. So I'm going to talk about the waters. So there's uh, uh, making it clear for for those who may not know or see. The references in, in Revelation to water or sea mean something. So, <clears throat> and there was a sign in the heavens and saw a dragon. You know, we, we read that with the stars, etc. And the birth, and he wanted to devour the child when the child was born. And when the dragon saw that he was cast on the earth, he pursued after the woman who gave birth. But there was given to the woman two wings, and, and uh, like a great eagle, and went to the wilderness, into the place where Yahweh gave her to sustain her for a time, and two and a half times from the dragon. Then the dragon cast waters uh, after the woman, like a great sea, to silence her. And I was, we were, I was looking up this word here. It means to silence her. Uh, so if you look at the, the, the sea as people, nations, that the dragon is pumping out against the remnant to silence them. So that's the way I'm interpreting what the dragon is doing here. Um, it could be drowning them literally, or it could be silencing them uh, uh, through the world, through the nations, through the media, through every, you know all those means. And what are we seeing and experiencing now? The same tactic, uh, the silencing, the uh, banning, the, uh, uh, you know, just eliminating all forms of uh, communication on topics against the narrative. So that's, that's how I interpreted that, looking at the Hebrew words uh, in there. But the woman had deliverance from the earth, and for she opened her mouth and swallowed the, wa and swallowed the waters, uh, which, which the dragon cast after her. So we see the earth opening up and swallowing the waters, whether that the water is little water or whether those waters were people, nations that were coming after the remnant. Uh, then the dragon was filled with anger because of, because of the woman, and he wanted to make war with the remaining ones of her seed who performed the commandments of Yahweh and believed in the testimony of his Messiah. So this is very specific. He's coming after those who believe in the testimony of, of Yeshua and perform the commandments of Yahweh. So when you 
bunch all these religions in here. What religions are performing the commandments of Yahweh? I don't think the ones that said they were done away with. So that should be a big warning sign for people to really consider. Uh, ne next, I want to add more to the C part. And let me see which UI this one is. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, some verses that's going to talk about the waters and earth and Sheol. So we see, uh, I'm going to read from Job, the Numbers, and then Enoch, and, and Isaiah, and Psalms quickly here. The departed spirits tremble under the waters, and their inhabitants, naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. So this is, this is inferring in Job that uh, under the waters is Sheol. And Abaddon is, it has no covering. So, you know, the departed spirits tremble under the waters. So where are they located? Under the waters, in the, in the earth. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, right down below, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. And he finished speaking all these words. The ground then... That was, uh, that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with the possessions, so they, all, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive in Sh to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. That was in Numbers. We remember reading that. And in those, okay, Enoch, and in those days, Sheol shall open its jaws and they shall be swallowed up therein. So here, here's another reference to the earth opening up to swallow people into Sheol. Uh, then Isaiah, then you shall see and, and flow together, and your heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned back unto you. The forces of the other nations shall come unto you. So it's referencing the sea as nations. So that's another point to when we're reading about the terms of sea, water, etc. can mean people, nations, etc. And in Psalms, you did divide the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. And this is referencing Yahweh, who can do all these things, who is all-powerful. And then lastly, uh, regarding the seas and waters we got uh from enoch and after that he showed me the angels of punishment we just read about where they're where they're located who are prepared to come and let loose all the powers of the waters which are beneath in the earth in order to bring judgment and destruction on who abide and dwell on the earth and the lord of spirits gave commandment to the angels who were going forth that they should not cause the waters to rise, but should hold them in check. For those angels were over the powers of the waters, and I went away from the presence of Enoch. So if I'm reading this right, these angels of punishment, you know, the, the fallen ones, are prepared to come and let loose all the powers of the waters which are beneath in the earth in order to bring judgment and destruction on those who dwell on the earth. But we see the Lord of Spirits commanding the, the, his angels to not let the waters rise and keep them in check. 
So whether the fallen angels are trying to manipulate the waters to cause destruction, or it is referencing that they are being let loose and the powers of the waters uh, from their release are being held back uh, by the uh, angels of Yah. So however you want to interpret that. Then Psalms, deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I, may I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the flood of waters not overflow me, nor the deep shallow me up, swallow me up, sorry, nor this pit shut its mouth on me. So once again, even Psalms is talking about these, the deep waters, uh, uh, the deep swallowing up, the pit down there, etc. And lastly, Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, he who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of armies is his name. He controls it all. So the enemy does what he does, and the Lord allows for the purpose of his will. So that's why things are done. They've been for uh, prophesied, and they will happen, and that is why they will happen. And we must uh, uh, be wise, uh, be prepared, and also uh, walk in the ways of Yeshua and what he has commanded, that we be obedient to the Father and the Father's will. So that is all I got to add from this on chapter 12, and I will pass it on over to Michael and, and Bill. Thank you. All right. Um, I think we want to open it up, but before we do that, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Noel was talking about as far as things that possibly happen in 70 AD-ish. And we were talking on the side, Noel, Rob, and I, about Ronitz. This this is a bombshell, if this is true, guys. Um, second only to the, the Pharisees um, killing Yeshua. But um, she she made the claim, and it, it's blowing my mind, that is it possible Revelation is looking in reverse? And if you remember last week, I was I was talking about time travel and all that kind of stuff, where the two prophets were in my opinion talking to john or in dreams or visions and then she made the claim that john was looking back towards the second temple and that kind of blew my mind and so it's, my mind's been juggling all week trying to put pieces together and, and everything um i don't have much but i wanted to put it out to the community and highlight again what rona was saying that she thinks that Revelation 11, John was looking back in time to the second temple. Um, so hopefully you guys can help us with this study and you know bring stuff to the table. Um, Noel, do you want to say anything before we open it up? No, but I, I wanted to just clarify because uh, now I'm under the impression that when Revelation is written that the temple has not been destroyed yet. Um, so I would like some clarity on that because I think... She's referring to the construction of the second temple, correct? Or am I wrong on that? Run it? Yeah, there you go. Asking me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was I was um, saying that when I read Revelation in Hebrew, what I'm seeing is going back and forth um, and going between the immediate future 
um, of the second temple and the destruction of the second temple into the far future um, of the of the last days. Okay. Yeah. So. Did I, I, did I yeah. Yeah, see, I'm still a little confused. If I understood correctly, what, what the notes being passed back and forth is, I think, Rodi, you were saying that the last week that the two witnesses were, um, who was it? Was it uh, what's his name? Zerubbabel or um, and Joshua? I think it is who um, I, who helped to build the second temple. Am I am, am I mistaken in that? In what you were saying? To two witnesses that helped helped build the second temple is that what okay I, I i i seem to recall last week being maybe i'm totally wrong on this but it was mentioned that the two witnesses of revelation 11 may have been uh pointing to oh man what is it is it in zachariah I, chapter I can four speak on it. yeah oh, i can speak on it yeah yeah go, okay. for, go for it do you want Michael to give some context? Go ahead, Michael, talk about it. Well, no, no. Basically, you know, I was making the claim of the time travel, and then I was saying that, in my opinion, we should start with Zechariah 3 and 4 because, in my opinion, John was directly quoting them. That they were, you know, so, and those two were the ones who helped build the second temple. So, if that makes sense. So, that's how I was connecting them. That it doesn't mean they're the two witnesses, it just means that. I thought John was directly quoting him. We should start there and maybe build build our case from there. And then it just once I heard Ronit was talking about the actual second temple, then it kind of blew me away, and I had to reconfigure a bunch of things. Yeah, and and he definitely quotes uh, he quotes a lot from Zechariah, um, and also other uh, from the other prophets. But I don't recall. Noel saying about the two witnesses um, um, helping build the temple. All I said is that what I'm seeing is um, him talking about the very immediate future, um, and then he he moves back and forth. You know, so you have to be really careful. And in my opinion, um, as Michael said, you have to hold. The, the other prophecy like you cannot read revelation on its own because it draws from the other prophecies also it's very obvious that it's drawing from other prophecies also um, so you need to, to read um, revelation in parallel to the other prophecies and then you can um, start drawing some uh, conclusion as to which passages are referring to the immediate future of the destruction of the, the then existing temple, the second temple, um, and which ones are the um, far, far future, distant future. Very good, thank you. Did anyone else have any um, anything you wanted to add that you have observed or thoughts on Revelation 12? Um, yes. It's talking about a short season, a small season. This again, to me, referencing Revelation 20. Uh, 
I I had something that I wanted to to say about Revelation twelve. Um, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Okay. Uh, I was reading um, from the Targums, and this was this is from um, in relation to you know the the dragon and armies and the earth and all that swallowing. And uh, this is the Song of Moshe, taken from the Song of Moshe. And it's, uh, the sea spoke to the earth, receive, but the earth spoke to the, the sea, receive thy murderers. And the sea was not willing to overwhelm them. And the earth was not willing to swallow them up, you know, referring to Pharaoh's army. The earth was afraid to receive them lest they should be required from her in the day of the great judgment to come, even as the blood of Abel, uh, Abel that is, will be required of her. Whereupon thou, O Yahuwah, didst stretch forth thy right hand in swearing to the earth that in the world to come that they would not be required of her. That is, and the earth opened her mouth and consumed them. And so this is talking of, of the earth swallowing uh, Pharaoh's army when, uh, you know, the waters were parted and Pharaoh's army tried to, to come across, you know, follow them uh, when they passed on dry lands and the earth, it literally swallowed them then too. So I just thought I would bring that up. Um, I, I wanted to share a thought regarding dragons so um, um, biblical Hebrew doesn't actually have the word dragon um, um, dragon in Hebrew is um, really like even modern Hebrew doesn't have a word for it it's just using the um, the English or Latin or Greek word, I don't know from which language dragon came, but it's definitely not a Hebrew word. So in the Bible, there are three, three, let's call them uh, scary beasts, okay? So we have the Nachash, we have Tanin, and we have Leviathan. And um, Tanin is actually what um, John is referencing in uh, the book of Revelation. Um, he keeps using the name Tanin. And Tanin is actually, when you look at Genesis 1, 21, um, it's the only beast. It's the only um, uh, created um uh, being ad other than Adam that is mentioned by name in the account of creation. Um, and um, the, the, the Jew in uh, Judaism, the belief is that, you know, you ask yourself, why, why is this the only beast that is mentioned with name in Genesis? Uh, and what they, they are saying is that it's because um, all pagan, mo most or all of the pagan nations um, feared that animal and they revered it. Um, and, and by the way, it's in, again, in the Bible, it was referring to crocodile, okay? Um, so um, 
most pagan nations uh, feared that animal and to a point of revering him and, and um, giving it a god status. So it was important for Yah to um, show that he actually created that, um, um, that, that beast also. Um, and then in the story of, uh, of uh, Exodus, when uh, uh, Yah sends Moses to Pharaoh, um, and he, so he's telling Moses, you're going to throw your rod, your staff, um, and it will turn into Nachash. So he asked him to show it to the, the Israelites. So when uh, Moses throws the staff in front of the Israelites, it turns into Nachash, into a serpent, into a snake. Um, but when he throws the rod in front of Pharaoh, it turns into a tanin, not Nachash. Um, and the reason is because Pharaoh... Um, worshipped and identified with this creature, with Tanin, uh, with this crocodile. Um, and um, Yah was giving him a message, you know, this thing that you worship and you identify with um, is just a stuff in my hands. Um, so anyway, so throughout the Bible, um, uh, you will see a reference to this creature and when you look at the different verses, especially as it's described as being like the animal that, that lives in the Nile, in the, in the river, um, it, it's referring to the cro a crocodile. Um, so I'm kind of, um, um, I, I wonder about how it, it turned into a dragon when we translated it, but that's really the word that uh, John was using, tanin. So just for clarification, in the book of Revelation, and I'm assuming you read ahead to uh, chapter 13, even the, the beast is, um, well, I guess, so there's no, it's only tannin that's used in these chapters, correct? So he's using, um, he's using tanin, um, and then he's using three things, tanin, and then he's using the word chaya, which is beast, beast, and there, there are two of those that he's referring to, um, Correct, yeah. a beast that has ten heads and ten crown, crowns, and a beast that uh, comes from the earth um, and has two horns. Um, but he's calling them beast, chaya. He's not only one creature is referred to as tenin, um, and it was translated into a dragon in uh, in English. Okay, good. Thank you. That's a good um, good commentary. Good observation. Does anyone else have anything else they would like to add before we move on to thirteen? Because I know there's a lot of stuff in thirteen to discuss. Well, that just gives us food to thought, like what Ronit's pointing out about, okay, where does dragon come from? What's up with the Greek translation to use this word and the connotations of it? It's food for thought. I just, I just wanted to mention as well, uh, uh, just a quick thought. Do you think the two wings that was given to the woman are actually the two witnesses to help her? during all these uh, tribulations? 
Interesting thought. Yeah, I believe that's possible. Because if the two witnesses are out there, and we know obviously they're they're bringing forth judgment left and right on on the peoples who will not listen or obey, etc. But when the witnesses come across the obedient, that I'm sure that they were are there to help them and guide them, because obviously they are the 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 ones that they're there for too. So I would I would presume so. Okay, with that, unless if anyone else, you know, uh, has any other questions, observations, speak now, forever hold your peace, or at least wait another hour. And I would like to move forward with the night and read chapter 13. Yes, sir, I can do that. Anybody else? No, going once. Alrighty, I will start with uh, Confidential Council's Hebrew Revelation chapter 13. <clears throat> and I stepped on the sand of the sea, and I saw an animal coming out of the sea. And he had seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads were names of reproach and blasphemy. And the animal which I saw was like a horse, and his feet like the feet of bears, and his mouth like the mouth of the lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great strength. Then I saw that one of the heads was like a deadly wound, but the wound was healed, and all the world was astonished because of this animal. Then they prayed to the dragon, who gave the animal power and dominion. And they prayed to the animal and said, Who is like this animal, and who is able to make war with it? And it was given to the animal to open his mouth to speak wonderful words and reproach until the time of forty-two months was completed. So he opened his mouth to blaspheme against Yahweh and against those who dwell in the heavens. And it was given to him to make war with the set-apart ones and to overcome them and all the people and nations. And all those who dwell on the earth prayed to him, those whose name was not written in the scroll of life of the Lamb who was slain, from the beginning of the creation of this world. Whosoever has ears must hear. If one drives another into prison, he will go into prison. And if one kills another nefesh with the sword, he will be killed by the sword. And here is hope and the faith of the set-apart ones. Then I saw an animal coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like the Lamb, but spoke like a dragon. And he did great wonders before the first animal, and made that the earth and those who dwell in it pray to the first animal, who was healed from his wounds. And he made fire fall from the heavens before men. And he seduced the sons of men with his signs and wonders, and said to those who dwell on the earth that they must make a carved image to the animal that had the wounds of a sword, but was healed. And to him it was given to give the carved image of the animal a spirit and a nefesh, so that was able to speak and to make whosoever does not want to pray to the carved image of the animal, that he may that he be killed. And he be made for them all, the great ones and the small ones, the rich ones and the poor ones, the slaves and the freed ones, a sign on his right hand or on their forehead, that no one is able to buy or sell unless he has this sign on his hand or in or on his forehead, or the name of the animal or the number of his name. Here is wisdom and understanding. Whosoever has insight needs to reckon the number of the animal. For it is the number of a man, and the amount is found, 666. Off to Noel for commentary. Yeah, we're kind of, we're really in the meat of Revelation right now. And this is one of those chapters, just like the last one, where we could almost just take a whole week just to discuss a chapter. Because there's so much in here. I don't think anyone in this group is going to exhaust this tonight. But I do have about seven pages of notes on this chapter that I wanted to go through. And this is all a uh, kind of a stream of thought. Um, it, it's 
I have to go into a search and order, and I don't really know how I'm going to break this up. So I'm just going to read a little bit and then hand it off to, to Rob and Michael and then kind of revisit this. So we see that, and this has been pointed out earlier, just so everyone is aware that in Hebrew, and Ronit is one of the ones that brought it up, that in Hebrew that there is not a word really for beast like we get in the Greek. We think of them as beast. Here, as you can clearly see, it says animal. But it, it's it's kind of the same thing. You know, we it's still, you'll see what I mean, but it's, it's, it's like a wild beast, right? A wild animal. And um, anyways, so the prophet Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel all used mythical sea monsters or sea monsters. I guess you call them tannin. So maybe, maybe they're not mythical uh, to symbolize oppressive Gentile empires. We see that in Daniel chapter seven, Isaiah 27 verse, verse one. Chapter 30, verse 7, chapter 51, verses 9 through 10, and Ezekiel 32, verses 2 through 9. I'm not going to take the time to read those. It would take too long. Just know that, uh, take my word for it, that they are, they are describing these Gentile empires as creatures of the sea. The beast is both a kingdom and its king. All right. Now, we're going to see later on in Revelation chapter 17, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, that the seven heads being described here are seven kings. That's what John says. Now, maybe in the Hebrew revelation, he takes that back. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see and find out. We also see Paul, or Shaul, saying in Colossians that, and he, being Messiah, is the head of the body, the church. So here again, you see the head being a uh, an entity, a person, but also a government, because... Uh, Messiah is a government, a kingdom. The Roman poet Ovid, in who lived from 43 BC to 1880, had this to say. He said, "The state is Caesar." So even here, the Romans are recognizing that a central figure is also the government. The Caesars are the states. Now let's let's. Look at the, the seven hills that Rome was founded on. Rome was founded on exactly seven hills by seven kings. So we're seeing a physical location, but also uh, identified with seven persons. Now, according to tradition, Rome did have seven kings, no more and no less. These belong to the Roman monarchy, beginning with Romulus. Uh, traditionally, it's held about 753 BC. I've gone into Romulus before in my talk on the uh, the the Gog and uh, Magog invasion and the Edomites, and how, uh, according to multiple sources, uh, Romulus is identified with um, with Esau, the Edomites. But that's a side note. And ending with the expulsion of the seventh king, his name was a uh, Tarquinus uh, Superbus in about 508 BC. After these seven kings, Rome ceased to be a monarchy and became a republic in 509 BC. So there was only seven kings on seven hills. What we have in Re Revelation is symbolic, if, if, if not a spiritual return of the seven founding kings. Now, I think this is a profound point, and I'm not going to discuss too much on this, but there's something about the spiritual nature of these seven kings return again. So the seven-headed beast is Rome's return to autocracy, in my opinion, away from a republic. Because what happened was Julius Caesar declared himself emperor for life in 44 BC. Of course, he's quickly murdered. Uh, if you ever read your uh, 
uh, high school uh, literature uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Julius Caesar and, and Shakespeare. And I think he was killed by Brutus. Uh, and then from then on, we get on to, to the, the Civil War with Mark Antony and Cleopatra, which then leads to Augustus winning the crown and so on and so forth. John's attention seems to be on three of these heads, or Caesars, on Caesar Nero, Vespasian, and Titus. All of which, by the way, adds up to 666. Uh, three first century Roman historians, Josephus, uh, Tacitus, and uh, if I can pronounce this correctly, uh, Suetonius, tell us that Vespasian saw himself and was seen by others as the Jewish Messiah. The church historian Eusebius even tells us that in seizing this title, Vespasian went, went so far as to try to eradicate King David's bloodline. Furthermore, this makes Titus his son, the son of Elohim. And I'll talk a little bit more about this um, a, little, uh, a little while. So the heads of the sea beast are, I believe, the heads of the Roman Empire, the Caesars. And one of the ways you can picture this is to look at coins, which also might be marks. But what do these coins have? They have the head of each of these Caesars on them. You can go through and you can find in history that they are all on these coins, the heads of the beast. Also, the marks. But the heads of the beasts are not just the emperors of Rome. The heads of the beasts are those emperors who reigned in two separate dynasties. And this is really important. That ruled, that ruled Rome in the first century. You have first the Caesar family dynasty, which followed from the Flavian family dynasty. The first six heads are the six emperors of the Caesar family dynasty, beginning with the very first Julius Caesar. Thus, the first six heads are the first six Caesars. They go in this order. Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar. And as you guys will all recall, Messiah was born under Augustus, and that happened just after the uh, Cleopatra-Mark Antony civil war in which Herod teamed with the wrong crowd. He teamed with Mark Antony, and then he had to kiss Augustus's butt afterwards, and he remained in the kingship. I kind of think the whole... I, I know I get into this a lot. I think the Cleopatra thing was a hoax, but that's a whole... I don't think she really died, but whatever. We get the third is Tiberius Caesar, the fourth is Gaius Caesar, the fifth is Claudius Caesar, and the sixth, the sixth, who adds up to 666, is Nero Caesar. Now, in Revelation 13.3, the beast is said to have a fatally wounded head. This is important. Now, at first I was thinking it was Julius Caesar, but I don't think it is. I think that the, the fatally wounded head is Nero. This head is the sixth head, of course, Nero Caesar, who committed suicide, they tell us, in AD 68. I have a lot of questions on that as well, and I'll get into it toward, uh, at the end as to why I, I suspect that Nero also did not die, and that it was all psychodrama. It, 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 it all plays out like psychodrama, uh, the way they were pulling people through this. Uh, and Nero was reported to be living by multiple people, hundreds, probably thousands of people afterwards. That's important to note. But if Bible says, you know, if, if you can make a case in scripture that he did die, then um, so be it. I don't think, whatever. Okay, moving on. What's important to note here is that Nero was the last ruler of the Caesar family dynasty. After that, that dynasty was done. We bring in the, the, the Flavians. 
if you recall, the year after Nero's death, there were, I think, four Caesars that came and went really quickly in Rome. There was a civil war. It felt like Rome was creaking on its hinges and the whole thing was going to collapse. Um, Nero himself had not named his, his, a successor. So that's why the civil war happened. With Nero's death, the end of the Caesar family dicer and the, um, the resulting civil war, which threatened to collapse the empire at the height of its power, the beast seems to have a fatal wound in Revelation 13.3. All right. Now, this is what's kind of interesting about the, the, the tannin. And I had asked uh, Roni to clarify on the Leviathan because I am going here with the notion that a Leviathan creature is being described. So the ancient Greeks had something called the Hydra, a multi-headed serpentine water monster. Well, the, the ancient uh, Near Eastern religions had the Leviathan. The Leviathan was very popular throughout uh, Canaanite, Phoenician, uh, you know, Babylonian, all that stuff. And, of course, with the Hebrews as well. He was another multi-headed serpentine water monster. The Bible does not actually say how many heads he has, although Psalm 74.14 does clarify that he had a multitude of heads. It, it says, you crushed the heads, plural, of Leviathan. You fed him to the creatures of the desert. But we are, of course, given uh, we are given an actual numbers of seven in other religions of the ancient Near East. There are there are actual texts that says that Leviathan has seven heads, and in fact, some uh, scholars they will argue whether his name means the coiled one or some variations of that or the seven heads. All right. Um, all right. Now, if you guys recall, uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I talked on the book of Lemek, um, and that was a very controversial read, but there were so many profound things in there uh, that I may be bringing up a lot in the future. It was Tubal Cain, if you recall, who cut off the head of Leviathan. This Leviathan in the book of Tubal Cain had seven heads, and he hung one of those heads on, the, on a wall in the city of Enoch. Well, in the ancient Canaanite uh, uh, book called the Baal Cycle, all right, this is an actual book. It predates scripture. Leviathan also had seven heads and was one of the servants of the sea god Yamu, who was defeated by Hadad, the storm god. And that's a, that's a whole, uh, whole other story. Well, and, and this is where, again, people will argue his name literally means the wriggling or the coiled serpent or the mighty one with seven heads. Well, according to ancient tradition, this is important to note. This is all going somewhere. This many-headed, the seven-headed sea beast was known to regenerate severed heads such that two new heads would grow on the stump of the old severed head, which explains why later on in Revelation we're going to see that this same beast suddenly has eight heads. He starts out with seven. He has a fatal wound in one of the heads, meaning it's lopped off, and now he's got eight. And this happens in Revelation 17. Now, again, I haven't I, I'm not sourcing this with the Hebrew. We might be surprised. Um, having received what appears to be a fatal wound, the seven-headed beast appears to die. But it does not stay dead as it grows two new heads in the place of the old six head and comes back to life shortly thereafter with the rise of a new family dynasty. The Flavians prevented the empire from collapsing by bringing peace and order back to Rome. How did they do this? They brought peace and order by destroying Israel. It's really important to note. Thus, under the reign of, Fla of the Flavians, Vespasian, Titus, and uh, Domitian, the beast came back to life. This is what we're witnessing 
this is why I think this whole thing is a psychodrama, guys. I think it's all part of the script. It was part of a performance witchcraft. Uh, we're seeing a death and rebirth ceremony happening. Like the Bible is telling us that this is happening and the enemy also intended it to be. So that's my theory on it. But maybe that's a little irrelevant. In the Civil War, in the year uh, following Nero's death, during which uh, these guys, Galba, Otho, and Vitilius reigned, these three emperors, who were not a part of the Caesar family line, are not the heads of the beast, as the beast was dead at the time as the Caesar family's dynasty ended with Nero. That's my view on this. The beast then rose from the dead with the rise of Flavian of the, the Flavian dynasty the following year. At this time, peace and order was restored to the empire, and the beast came back to life. All right, the six heads of the sea, uh, the sea beast. I'm kind of being repetitive, but I'm trying to make my point here. Uh, the sixth head of the sea beast then grew two new heads from the neck of the original severed head. These two heads that grew from the neck of the former sixth head are Vespasian and Titus, who were both declared Caesar at the time, at the same time, and shared the same Roman uh, nickname, uh, Titus, Titus Flavius uh, Vespasianus. All right. Um, that's a good place, I think, to cut off on my notes and I'll hand it back to Rob and then Michael, and then I'll go over the rest afterwards. So, Rob, take it away. Sure. <clears throat> I, I don't have a whole lot in this, this chapter here um, that I can bear out, but uh, what I wanted to start with is the first beast. And in the first, first beast here, as we see a difference in the Masoretic, in the Hebrew, um, it's talking about and uh, describing it. Let's see here. Is in regards to verse 2. And the animal which I saw was like a horse. And in the Greek, it's like a leopard. So there's going to be a difference between what that looks like, um, you know, in this vision. Uh, but we know each of these beasts are symbolic of of kingdoms and uh, worldly kingdoms. So with that said, I wanted to, let's see, I'll start with, and I stepped on the sand of the sea, once again, sea, uh, you know, whether this was uh, the peoples uh, or if this was literal uh, sea, the sand of the sea, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea. So, you know, this is, if you're looking at the analogies here, we see a kingdom or a nation, uh, a, a, a ruling nation or kingdom coming out from the peoples. And it had seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns were ten crowns. And on his heads were the words of curses and blasphemy. And we got... Uh, We've got that spoken about in Leviticus 24.14. Uh, there was a, a boy who was cursing uh, the Most High. And so what they did was they, they stoned him to death. And so we, from that example, we know that this beast with the curses and blasphemy is a death sentence uh, in what it is doing. And the beast which I saw was like a horse, and his feet like a feet of a bear, mouth like a lion, and the dragon gave him power, his power, and his throne, and great strength. 
So this beast here, and you see him in the image, it's it's like the one with the leopard. But in this version of the Hebrew version, that would look like a horse's body uh, in that sense. Uh, and you could see the heads on its side, you know, in this depiction and so forth. But uh, we see that uh, it states that the dragon gave him his power and his throne. So the dragon is putting this beast, this this kingdom, in power. Uh, perhaps the dragon is uh, uh, not taking the back seat, but just pulling the strings from behind the scenes and letting this particular beast run the show uh, on Earth. And, and that's what's going on. And as I read before uh, in Daniel, that the, the beasts will be held off until a later time. And uh, this is one of those beasts, because we're going to read about this beast and the second beast. And now this is their time to make an appearance at, at the end. So uh, we have oh, on, his, on, his, on his head, as Noble's reading, was a deadly wound, and, but the wound was healed. And all the world was astonished because of this beast. So uh, that, that could very well be perhaps something tied in with that, where a deadly wound, another, another head, another nation, another uh, kingdom, or the little horn, or, or something, uh, however you want to tie any of this together, could, could possibly mean. Um, then I, I want to talk about the, that first, that, this, this first beast where it is being worshipped. So then they pray to the dragon who gave the beast power and dominion, and they prayed to the beast and said, who is like this beast and who is able to make war with it? So first, they're worshiping the dragon, and now they're worshiping this beast, uh, this, this, this great uh, kingdom. So the beast <clears throat> was... And it was given to the beast to open his mouth and speak wonderful words and cursings once again until the time of 42 months. Here it is. Once again, another time marker, another 42 months, another three and a half years. All these things happening uh, in describing this time period of all of these events and scenarios going on. Uh, and those who dwell in, uh, and against those who dwell in the heavens. And it was given to him to make war with the holy ones. And to overcome them and all the peoples and nations. So this, uh, this kingdom is making war against the Holy Ones. Whether you want to call that a pharmaceutical war, or whether you want to call that pharmacia war, I should say. Or if you want to call it um, uh, oppression, control, etc. Uh, it's overcoming them and all the peoples and nations. So the whole world. And all who dwell on the earth prayed to him. So, I guess you could define what that praying to this kingdom is. Is it obedience? Because we... I wanted to pull the scriptures to, uh, that ties in obedience as worship. Because it's out there, I know it is. I've done I've done that study before, but I, unfortunately, I didn't have I didn't plug that in here. But look that up where uh, worship is obedience. So we see here that all who dwell on the earth pray to him. They basically obey. They they go along with what is being told, what they're being told to do, 
and uh, to appease and go with the system, a lot like what we see today. Those whose names were not written in the book, uh, in the scroll of life and, and of the Lamb who was slain from the beginning of the world's creation. So that's the first beast. So we're reading about the first beast, and then I'm going to uh, touch on the second beast. And so, <clears throat> in regards to the second beast, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. So this one's coming out of the earth. And he and he had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. And he did great wonders before the first beast. So he's this beast is doing wonders before this, uh, this great kingdom and made the whole earth and those who dwell in it pray to the first beast, to worship and obey the first beast. So this one is orchestrating uh, uh, great wonders in serving the the beast or the great kingdom that is in place right now uh the one the beast that had its heel that was healed from its wounds and he the second beast made fire fall from the heavens before man and he seduced the sons of man and and with his signs and wonders and said to those who dwell on the earth that they must make an idol to the beast and that that had the wounds of the sword but was healed so now they're requiring or he's requiring an idol of this great nation whether you want to call it the world nation or or uh well it's going to be a one world order nation uh some kind of idol to it and to him it was given to give the idol of the beast a spirit and the flesh so that it was able to speak uh that could uh, Obviously, we've seen interpretations of that, of this idol for the, for the world government or world kingdom uh, could be, very well be like a robot system. It's something that was given a spirit in the flesh. It didn't have one before, so that could very well be it, and it was able to speak. And, that, and, to, what, and to make whosoever does not want to pray to the idol of the beast that he be killed. So this this idol of the beast uh, was killing those who would not basically obey. And that just reminds me of uh, iRobot and stuff like that, uh, of a good possibility to fit that description. And uh, lastly, I will end with uh, uh, this slide here regarding the second beast. And he made them all uh, the great ones, small ones, the rich and the poor ones, the slave and the freed ones, a sign on his right hand and forehead, and no one is able to buy and sell, as we know. And here's wisdom to understand. Whoever has insight needs to calculate the number of the beast for his number of man, 666. Uh, I didn't go into depth into this section here, but what I wanted to pull together is that, uh, that this second beast uh, is orchestrating some key events and I think is becomes the hand uh, and mouthpiece for the first beast in that sense and, and, and making things happen upon the earth and making those serve and obey the first beast. So with that, I am done and I'll pass it over to Michael. Alrighty, thank you. Um, I'm going to call two audibles here. Um, you guys were, it kind of hit me. Uh, it was either last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about maritime law. 
and you know all that kind of stuff and we were talking about leviathan and behemoth just now and i quoted let me go read it again enoch you know that that day has been prepared for the elect as a day of covenant and for sinners as a day of inquisition and that day shall be distributed for fruit two monsters a female monster who is leviathan dwelling in the depths of the sea above the springs of the waters and a male monster who is behemoth which possesses moving on his breast invisible wilderness i was doing i just went to wiki real quick the hebrew word behemoth has the same form as the plural of the hebrew noun behema meaning beast suggesting an augmentative meaning great beast and you know this whole chapter is talking about the beast mark of the beast like and it goes back to my theory of the you know the land is what's cursed you know they're Curses the land. That's why the sea, nothing happened at the beginning. Um, behemoth and beast is linking that. Um, Leviathan is the sea. You know, it was protected during that first flood or whatever. Um, it just, I don't know, it just hit me just now as I was doing quick research while Rob was talking that behemoth and beast is is very similar. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the first audible. The second one, I'm going to go through all my notes because I have a feeling Noel's going to blow us away since he had eight pages. So this will be the, the only thing I'm going to say in Revelation 13. So I'll start with number three. Um, and I'll read both. And I saw one of his heads, and it as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And in Hebrew, then I saw that one of his heads was likely a deadly wound. But the wound was healed, and all the world was astonished because of this animal. And, you know, I want to focus on real quick on the word astonished. Um, Strong's Hebrew, another word for that is confused. So I thought that was interesting that the whole world was confused because of this animal. I don't know. There was a little spin on that as far as, you know, wonders about what the beast is going to do. Um, number six, I'm going to read both. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And in the Hebrew, so he opened his mouth to blaspheme against Yahweh and against those who dwell in heavens. I just want to point out that there's no blaspheme his name and his tabernacle in the Hebrew. That's only in the Greek. I, I don't know what that means. Um, I, I would say blaspheming against Yahweh is the same as blaspheming his name. It's almost like the Greek added that. Um, but... It, you know, that's still interesting because, um, you know, the, the whole point of the study is going through di the differences. So I, I want to keep pointing those out. Um, number eight, I'm going to read both. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And in the Hebrew, and all those who dwell on earth prayed to him, those whose name was not written in the scroll of life of the Lamb, who was slain from the beginning of the creation of this world. Cross-reference uh, Daniel, again with Daniel, 12.1. Now at the time Michael, we talked about him earlier, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found written in the book, will be rescued. Um, so some more differences. I thought it's awesome that prayed to him is the same as worshipped. To me, that that is more clear. It's more clear. Worship is more vague. Um, Hebrew says it's those who prayed to him. 
Um, and another difference is, let's see. I love that in the Hebrew, it says the beginning of the creation of this world. Again, in my opinion, it's more clear than what the Greek said, just from the foundation of this world. Um, okay, so the next thing I have is 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience, patience and the faith of the saints. Hebrew, if one drives another into prison, he will go into prison. And if one kills another nefesh with the sword, he will be killed by the sword. And here is hope in the faith of the set-apart ones. Jeremiah 43, 11. So two, two cross-references. He will also come and strike the land of Egypt. We've, we've been talking about the, you know, the similarities between Daniel and also Egypt. Those who are meant for death will be given over to death, and those for captivity to captivity, and those for the sword to the sword. We talk about you know, being under the law, and it's a bondage, being under the law. If you're under the law, or if you're breaking the law, you will be in captivity. You'll be thrown into prison. You know, so it's those who are obedient that will won't be under the law. Hebrews six twelve, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. Um, some more differences. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. It says drives into another prison instead of leadeth into captivity, and then patience and hope. Those are synonymous according to this this verse. Um, three left. Uh, number fourteen. I'm going to read both. Um, actually, I'm just going to read the Hebrew. And he seduced the sons of man. We talked about seduced earlier with his signs and wonders and said to those who dwell on the earth that they must make a carved image to the animal that had wounds of a sword, but was healed. Second um, Thessalonians 2, 9. That is one who is coming that is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. Again, seducing instead of deceiving. We talked about that earlier. And carved image instead of just image. Does it make it more literal that it's a carved image? If it's just the image of the beast, maybe you can get more metaphorical. Hebrew, it says carved image. Okay, so now for some of the good stuff I have on number 16. Um, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Um, some extra biblicals that talk about the mark, which is Third uh, Maccabees 2, 28-29. None of those who do not sacrifice shall enter their sanctuaries, and all the, Jew, the Jews shall be subjected to a registration involving a poll tax and to the status of slaves. Those who object to this are to be taken by force and put to death. Those who are registered are also to be branded on their bodies by fire with the ivy leaf symbol of Dionysus, and they shall also be reduced to their former limited status. That is crazy what happened in 3 Maccabees. Um, I read a commentary. So the Greek word sharagma, which is mark in this passage, was most commonly used for imprints on documents or coins. Sharagma is well attested to have been an imperial seal of the Roman Empire used on official documents during the first and second centuries. In the reign of Emperor Decius, those who did not possess the certificate of sacrifice to Caesar could not pursue trades, a prohibition that conceivably goes back to Nero, reminding one of this passage. And then finally, my big one is number 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beasts, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. And in the Hebrew, 
Here is wisdom and understanding. Whosoever has insight needs to reckon the number of the animal, for it is the number of a man and the amount found, 666. So a little humor. I just want to notice the word reckon. Um, jokingly, maybe the country folk are onto something. I think it's funny <laughs> that it says reckon. But uh, I want to start with counting of the number of the beast. So this is interesting. That that word counting is only used twice. Um, it's Strong's 5585. To count, calculate. It's used here and then in Luke. Luke 14.28. For which of you, intending to bid, build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? I thought it was interesting it, it's equating tower like Babel. You know, we're all about talking about Babylon and Nimrod and everything. So counting the cost is the same word as counting the number of the beast. Only used twice in, in the Greek. Okay, so now on to the number. Um, I, I'm sure some of you know that, you know, some manuscripts say 616, but I'll be focusing on 666. So um, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. And he was involved in extensive training of gold, silver, gems, ivory, cinnamon, spices, wine, oil, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots. The, these are almost exactly the same as the things traded by the prostitute who rides the scarlet beast in Revelation 18. That's, I don't think that's coincidence. Uh, more on Solomon. He collects 666 talents of gold each year, a huge amount of money for a small nation like Israel. Solomon gathers a large number of horses and chariots and even brings in horses from Egypt. Just as Deuteronomy 17 warns, collecting in hor horses and chariots takes Israel back to Egypt. And finally, Solomon marries foreign women, and these women turn Solomon to other gods. Also, um, I couldn't figure out why, but in the Bible, the number of Ad Adonachim's descendants who returned to Jerusalem and Judah from the Babylonian exile was 666. The human body has six neutrons, six protons, and six electrons. This was a cool stat. Out of all the 2,000 Greek nouns in the New Testament, there was only one other word that has the exact same numerical value, the word paradosis, which translated to tradition. That equaled 666, tradition. Um, the same word used in Acts 19.25 and Matthew 15.2. Um, I forgot her name. Uh, what is her name? Polisa Elwine does a great study on all these, but you know she links man was created on the sixth day. That's no coincidence. So was the beast. Um, she links it to the sixth seal, the sixth trumpet. She does a great job. Polisa Elwine, and then finally, um, then I'll hand off to Noel. Preterist theologians typically support the interpretation, and Noel already mentioned that that six 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 is the numerical equivalent of the name and title Nero Caesar. Um, written in Aramaic, this can be valued at 666 using the Hebrew, Hebrew numerology of Gematria. Um, so that's where a lot of people also get Nero. Okay, that's all I got for Revelation 13. I'll hand it off to Noel. Well, I don't, you know, it's just interestingly enough, when I was going over my stuff this week, I did not prepare notes on 666. I will say, though, that one of the first questions I had when Hebrew Revelation was announced, it was, is it going to be 666 or 616? And if anyone doesn't know, I guess, the controversy that's being that Michael referred to is that scholars, whatever, claim that they have the oldest 
Greek documents of Revelation that it says 616 instead of 666. And I think that's terrible logic uh, that, you know, that they come up with it because this one, if this one document is older than the rest, that it therefore disproves the 666 theory that, you know, whatever. It, that the, the other, somehow 666 was invented after the 616 and they couldn't possibly be referring to older ones, whatever. Not to go too much into that there, I was kind of pleased, I was very pleased to see the, the 666 here. I will comment on a couple things. One is that 666 is a system that goes way beyond Revelation. Uh, it goes all the way back to Babylon. And I've I've seen research to, to pull on the idea that the the number numerically is so important because it, it evokes the power of all the gods. Um, if you can come up with the, the number 666, um, and you would see this with priests going back to Babylon. And they had similar, uh, kind of like the Levites would have the 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 ephods, the, the crest with the, the minerals in it, you would see the same thing with the priests in Babylon with the jewels that they have a numeric value that they would add up to 666. I think it's interesting that it's a system of man that goes way back in history, honoring and praising the gods. And the other thing I liked that Michael mentioned was that uh, talking about the certificate that would be in your hand. Now, we've talked about this in this group before. I'm not going to comment too much on this because it touches on uh, territory that gets you uh, flagged, but you guys know what I'm talking about, that we see the same sort of actions today about people holding a mark in their hand, a certificate that shows that they were participating in a worship service. And this was very true, and this was going on back then as well. And I think that's all I want to touch on 666, so let's go back to, um, and I, I guess I just need to, you know, obvious that that's the system out there everywhere we see it everywhere in culture you know it, it's it's the science number we see uh with what did we see through uh the last couple of years stands six feet apart how deep are we buried we're buried six feet under people i don't think are really buried six feet under but they say that for a reason and you know the 66.6 you know tell to the earth and all that it just goes on and on and on uh that number we see it everywhere now Going back to the 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 seven heads of the beast of this animal with the uh, ten horns. So I, I I saw this recently and this really tripped me out. And it's it's kind of like oh here we go again because as you guys know I've put a lot of research into serpent seed and the belief that. Uh, this I know this this triggers some people, so maybe you want to cover your ears for the next thirty seconds. But the belief that Cain is the literal son of Hasatan uh, through Eve, and that the sons of Cain are uh, the seed of the serpent. Well, this is really interesting that I found on Augustus. Now, keep in mind that I believe that Augustus represents the second head or the second king in the line of so many. Uh, that was Return of the Beast. And this comes from an individual named uh, Suetonius, a uh, historian. And this is what he has to say about the birth of Augustus. And here's the spoiler alert, guys. Augustus apparently had no father. Uh, he had the father of lies, but he had no earthly father, according to this. Augustus' mother, Atia, with certain married women friends, once attended a solemn midnight service at the Temple of Apollo. Um, she presently fell asleep, as the others also did. 
Suddenly, a serpent gliding up entered her and then gliding away again. And now I, I just want to pause here and point out that the people through these mystery religions in these different temples in Rome, it was actually, um, it wasn't uncommon for people to sleep with snakes. They worshipped the serpents and these snakes had magical powers and qualities and would make them, he you know, heal them and so on and so forth. But this is interesting because it this serpent entered her and uh, I don't need to describe that. I think you guys can visualize that. On awakening, she purified herself as if after intimacy with her husband, so we know where the snake um, uh, entered her, an irremovable colored mark in the shape of a serpent, which then appeared on her body, made her ashamed to visit the public baths anymore, and the birth of Augustus nine months later suggested a divine paternity. All right, now let's go back to the uh, the the seven that... The, the heads, particularly the healed heads. And this is where it comes around full circle. The seven-headed beast of Revelation 12 and 13 is most, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation 13, is most specifically denoted by the healing of its sixth head in Vespasian and Titus, who are, where are they coming from? They're coming from Israel, where they pursued the woman in Revelation 12. So this is where it comes around full circle. And what I told you earlier that I believe the, the army that is pursuing across the land, the woman and her child, the, the water that's being spewed forth, I think this is Vespasian and, and Titus. Okay. And so now they are making an appearance in Rome to claim the crown in Revelation 13. So Jerusalem has been destroyed by this point. This would be 70 AD. The fact that this beast is standing on the shore of the sea is another way of saying that it has come up out of the abyss um, as it had in Revelation 11.7 and what we'll see in Revelation 17.8. This is the Antichrist resurrected. Okay, It's resurrection imagery to contrast Messiah. Now, Revelation 13 as a whole is, uh, and I'm going to keep repeating this just so people understand, is a prophecy concerning the Flavian triumphal entry into Rome immediately after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, and they were greeted by a mob and so on and so forth, and you know, it was a big deal. All right. But here's, here's what's really interesting about these two guys. And, and it's just a, a quick comment, everyone, that who, who was with the Flavian dynasty? It was Josephus. Remember, Josephus went to war with them. He comes out of the cave, like he and one other guy, they all die and commit suicide because Josephus tells them to. And he comes out and he becomes their pet and their, uh, their, their, uh, doing all their propaganda and so on and so forth. Well, so think about a father and son, all right? God and the son of God. And I've already told you guys that Vespasian claimed to be Messiah. He actually claimed to, uh, the Jewish Messiah, mind you, he claimed to be Elohim. Well, appropriately, his son, Titus, claimed to be uh, the son of God. Wasn't well, that interesting? During the year between Nero's death and Vespasian's triumphal entry to Rome, Vespasian, uh, like Yahusha, is also so in 68 AD and 69, is also said to have performed miraculous healings. And this is some of the things some of the historians talk about. Vespasian reportedly restored sight to a blind man in addition to having healed a man with a withered hand in the presence of a vast crowd of bystanders. This is why I also believe. 
that these two Caesars are the second beast. The beast with the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the horns, but like a, you know, the, yeah. And people will traditionally say that this is the Antichrist and the, the false prophet. Well, this chapter, Revelation 13, has taught me a lot about how the world truly functions. Most people will say that they are just, they're just kind of together and, you know, the, the Antichrist false prophet. But this is what we, we call the illusion of choice, the left and the right hand approach uh, to magic. And what we're seeing is, of course, you know, the, 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 the second beast is causing everyone to worship the first beast. It appears like there are two different entities, the left and the right. You know, we talk about Democrats, Republicans, right? Uh, the the white magic, black magic, so on and so forth. But here we see the, the, the second beast telling everyone to worship the first. They are, again, what I believe to be the Flavian dynasty coming up out of a, of a, of a dead beast and telling, okay, everyone, you're going to worship these guys now. You're going to worship this, uh, this government. And it's important to note that the second beast comes from the land. So, you know, Vespasian and Titus again. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay, well, I did find this. This is kind of interesting. I just kind of sourced this. Genesis 3.19, which reads, By the sweat of your brow you will eat uh, your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. It's kind of an um, interesting little idea there. Um, I don't know why I put that in there, but all right, let's move on. So Vespasian died on June 23rd, 79 AD. Two months later, the volcano at Pompeii erupted. Uh, Titus died on September 13th, 81 AD, after only two years in office. And, and the reason I put that in there is because I actually discovered this this week. Another thing that tripped me out was a few weeks ago, we talked about the locusts coming out of the abyss. Well, I, I made the connection at the time that the locusts were the same demonic spirit entities of the disembodied, spirit, uh, disembodied giants from before the flood. And we connected this in Jubilees, where these Demons, the disembodied uh, spirits of the giants, were plaguing mankind, and they were put into the abyss. Well, this is kind of interesting, because Vespasian died on June 23rd, 79 AD. Two months later, the volcano of Pompeii erupted. You guys can all uh, picture the imagery of the, 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 the bodies, you know, and casts that were just, uh, like, petrified by the ash and so on and so forth. Well, a, a historian at that time... Um, and I'll read this probably in another week, but he talks about how when the volcano was erupting, witnesses in Pompeii all over Italy and over the earth all witnessed these giants, they called them the Titans, coming out of the volcano. And these Titans were coming down into the city streets and then, of course, walking over the earth. And they were, they were tormenting people. And they said at the time that the Titans were coming for their revenge. I'm like, well, that's interesting because that's what the disembodied spirits are. They're from the Titans. Interesting to note. Was that a fulfilled prophecy right then? All right. So a couple other things. Uh, really one other note here. I want to talk about Nero as the man of lawlessness, the sixth head that was crushed or destroyed. Uh Nero is believed to have had uh, Nero liked to he killed a lot of people. He is believed to have had a part in killing his adopted father Claudius. Uh, he he later went on to murder Claudius's son Britannicus in order to secure his claim to the throne. 
after that, he, um, let's see, who else did he kill? He killed almost everyone close to him, including his mother, his aunt, uh, his pregnant wife, Papia. Uh, he kicked her to death. Uh, let's see, who else did he? He killed a lot of people. All right. His depravity also extended to sexual um, perversions. He married a young boy named Sporus. Uh, so he married a young boy, dressed him in the fine clothes of an empress. He dressed her up as a woman and paraded him through the streets of Rome so everyone could celebrate his marriage to this boy. He also married um, someone named Dorphorus, uh, another man. And on the wedding night, loudly imitated the moans of a virgin being deflowered. So Nero is the one pretending to, to imitate a woman being deflowered by this other man. He was even reported to have invented a game. Now, I, I, I recognize that these could have been propagandists. There were a lot of propagandists within the Flavian dynasty, and historians will point that out. Was this accurate or not? But just let's go with it for a second. He apparently invented a game in which he would dress in animal skins and attack the private parts of men and women whom he had bound to stakes. That's kind of disgusting. Because of his unnatural lust for blood, Nero also enjoyed watching a, um, a certain Egyptian um, ogre rip apart living men and eat their raw flesh. Um, unheard of for, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, this is really interesting too. I, I, I almost have to see this to believe this, but apparently Nero was known to wander the streets at night. And um, he would break into these residences and he would break into these shops and take the items from within the shops and sell the stolen goods at his palace. Apparently he wanted to open up his own uh, shop in his palace and he would just take what he wanted. He also, um, of course, he was known for his murderous rampage within the church. This is the guy who would you know, burn uh, uh, corpses on the road to Rome, Colosseum, all sorts of stuff. But also, I, apparently, there was some law put into effect where Nero could walk the streets and he could go up and attack anybody he wanted. And if you try to defend yourself uh, you or attack Nero back, you were immediately killed for that. All right, so what else do I have here? Oh, and also, this is kind of interesting, too, that... There was, for years, there was the rumors that he lived, that he didn't really die. So Romans at that time did not buy the fact that he died. They didn't believe it. I find that really interesting. And for years afterwards, many people reported seeing him alive. I think that's interesting to note. And um, hmm, what else did I have here? I think that's, I think that's, I had other stuff, but now I can't think of it. But anyway, so probably come to me. So hopefully everyone found that informative. And I guess back to Rob, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I got nothing more to add at this point right now uh, for details. Michael? Me neither, sorry. All right. Well, I think I had other things I wanted to add and they'll come to me, but let's go ahead and roundtable this. and. Anyone else, if you had any thoughts, please, uh, observations, uh, questions for Rob, Michael, myself, or anybody else, this is your chance. Yeah, I just wanted to mention very quickly on chapter 
12, verse 17, which says right there that commandments of Yah and testimony of Hamashiach, which again, commandments of Yah, testimony of Hamashiach, again and again, it proves that, you know, uh, we are actually meant to keep, and actually, why actually Yeshua came uh, to earth to actually spread and, you know, uh, make sure that we are kind of a Torah community as we are here. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. It's very interesting because it's actually mentioned even in Revelation. So there are no doubts why actually uh, Yeshua came to um, and was born here on earth. Yes, we read that in John. Um, if you love Yeshua was saying, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then we read here that those who uh, have the testimony of Yeshua and perform the commandments of Yahweh. So it's, yeah, it just reinforces that. So Anybody got? Okay, yeah. good. Sorry, I had a couple of comments. So, Michael, you were talking about Behema. So, um, traditionally in the in the Bible, uh, Behema refers to um, a domesticated animal, and 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 Chaya, which is the word that is used here, um, denotes other animals that are not domesticated. <clears throat> Soy, um, and it can also be translated to uh, to the word beast. Um, and when it's translated to the word beast, it actually it usually um, comes with an adjective with it. So it's chaya chayara like an evil um, animal. Um, so so the the word beast. Um, is um, like so behemoth cannot be um, something mean because it denotes domesticated animals um, the second thing I wanted to mention is um, in chapter 13 uh, when um, I, I, I jokingly which it's not a joke I call them uh, Beast Senior and Beast Junior, okay, because we have the beast with the ten heads and the beast with the two horns. So when Beast Junior is teaching people to um, uh, worship uh, Beast Senior, um, he's using the same verb that he's using in chapter 11 um, about worshiping, um, yeah. Okay, so so this is how, like, we are talking here about, like, the same type of worship um, that Yah expects from us uh, toward Him. That's what the people are doing with um, worshiping the beast in chapter 13. Um, and then um, another thought that I had was... Um, when um, he was um, describing the what he sees on on the heads, he, he is describing um, 
the words that are traditionally used in the Bible to mean uh, blasphemy against uh, Yah and curses, uh, the word curse toward Yah. Um, and so, so for me, when I saw it, it was really clear that this beast, the, the beast senior, you know, the one with the head, ten heads, um, represent the ultimate, um, the, the ultimate going against Yah, going against El Elyon, um, and, and committing the most horrific, um, uh, a crime for from the Torah perspective of of cursing um, El Elyon, which is a, a, a sin or a crime that um, a demands a death a death sentence. Um, so the verse that uh, Rob uh, mentioned before talks about um, actually Yah demanding that the people the Israelites will. Um, stone and 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 kill uh, the person that um, cursed Yah. And then the last thought that I had. Um, okay, the last thing I wanted to mention is um, regarding the idol. Um, I'm just wondering, like, if any of you, um, Noel, Rob, or Michael, if you have any thoughts about the fact that he actually animated, like, he was able to animate the idol. He was able to breathe, to, to put spirit and nefesh in an idol. This is, um, for me, it's, it was kind of shocking because, I mean, it's very, very clear in the Bible that only God can do something like this. So I'm, I'm just going to pass it to you, and, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, I do have some thoughts on that. Unfortunately, I don't have the notes in front of me, but I actually read this um, great biography a few years back on the, the history of Alexandria, the city of Alexandria. And it was in the first century um, there was a man who, uh, I don't recall his name at the moment. He was very well known. He was kind of like, um, he, he actually was the designer of what we would call animatronics. And he, he did all sorts of stuff where he would create uh, these images of gods and they would be animated. And they would do, when they would come into the temples, and so this was really popular in Rome and it came from Alexandria. But they would have, have like these animatronics uh, or these uh, laser, what we would call laser shows, but like pyrotechnics uh, with flames and fire and voices and and um, and these different machines would do these different things. And that was something that was very real in the first century. Uh, it's not something that's talked about a lot, but so people would. It, it's kind of like if if you go to Disneyland in the 1950s to see the the the, the enchanted tiki room. Uh, or, you know, you want to see these animatronics, you know, Mr. Lincoln and stuff like that. You know, it's the same thing. If you wanted to go to these amusements, you would go to the temples and you would see these, uh, the latest uh, talking God. Um, and, and then there were, there were other more, of course, perverse things where they would, um, they would actually kill 
people or sacrifice them to the gods. And uh, the famous one comes from Revelation, where uh, Yahusha personally mentions his name. I can't recall his name uh, at the moment. Someone else can throw it in there. And he was, I think it was in Pergamum, was he was he killed? And he was uh, he was probably put into like a like a bowl, a big uh, metallic or golden bowl that they would put a flame underneath it. And so as he's being tormented inside and being killed, he would, you know, as his screaming would actually go through like a, like a vocal pipe and it would cause the, the bowl to move or, you know, to make animal sounds and everyone would applaud it apparently. So uh, they had all sorts of disgusting stuff. I do want to point out really quickly, I dropped in here uh, these images of these, well, what are they? The uh, helmets of a of a Roman standard bearer. And so if you were living in the Roman Empire in the first century and you had a, a platoon or, I guess, a legion, a, um, a group of these soldiers walking through your town, through your streets, the man in the front would always, the, the, the bearer, the flag bearer, the, the Roman legion bearer, he would always have these animal skins on his helmet. It could be a lion, it could be a wolf, it could be a leopard. But there, there are all these animal beasts. And so it was kind of interesting and just kind of reminding people. They, I think that they would, if you're describing these governments as beasts, they would look at this and go, oh, okay, I, I see it. I, I get what they're saying. Because um, Rome was actually identifying as these beasts, uh, like the spirit of these beasts. Yeah, my my added comment was with the with the technologies. I mean, think about the technologies that uh, we have today, and how uh, some pieces are highly advanced, and other pieces have gone like nowhere. Uh, like the automobile in the last hundred years is hasn't much much changed at all, other than some electronics and more efficiencies, but. Uh, we see many other things going much further, whether it's the phones and uh, maybe computers, but even at that is being paced at a certain rate for certain purposes. So I can only imagine the hidden technologies from the researches that I'm sure many of us have, have come across and done uh, with what's out there and the robotics, the AI, the holographics. That ability, I mean, invisibility, uh, even talking about time travel, all of that type of stuff mixed in. It, 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 w it wouldn't surprise me with what they could pull off with, with, um, uh, with fooling many people. I mean, even now we see things on the, the, the television where we can, we, can, we can see their mistakes. Well, uh, I I know what's coming around the corner is going to be something where you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to tell. So uh, that's how I would see this this uh, the spirit and the flesh being put into uh, this this image or idol is going to be so real and so lifelike. And and I would wonder if if there is something more to it. Maybe this a spirit of a fallen one being put into it. I don't know. Uh, if that's even possible, or if that, or they somehow create a way or find a way to do so, especially with the D wave and all of, all of that communication that they're they're tapping into, so we we shall see. 
I, I think that uh, what caught my attention is the word nefesh. <laughs> it's a very special word in the Bible. Um, and, um, you know, with all the technology that we are seeing and probably that is hidden from us, because um, I'm, I'm sure the technology is a few decades ahead of what they are showing us, um, still they cannot, they cannot put nefesh in technology. So that's that's yeah. what got my attention. Yeah, it it makes me wonder about two things when 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 this topic comes up is the they're already talking about uh, uploading your consciousness so that you can perhaps load it into a machine and live quote forever. That's one view, and then the second is uh, what if they do or the enemy, the adversary finally figures a way of capturing a nefesh uh, from whether it be Nimrod or whatever uh, spirit out there and placing it into uh, an idol. So, I don't know. Those are some things to think about. Um, I, I forgot to mention one more thing um, in the last verse. Um, um, we talked, uh, we mentioned that in English and Greek it sounds like it says count. Actually, the word it is using is very interesting. Um, it, the, the biblical word for count is different. The word it is using is calculate. <laughs> so he's expecting us not just to count, but really like run a formula here and calculate and come up with 666. That's interesting. That that can mean a lot of different things, whether it's the numbers of certain things to calculate it, or if it means to piece together, you know, and figure it out. Interesting. Because to me, it sounds like it's not going to be something just blatant. It's going to be something you you will have to quote calculate and 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 work out. Yeah, that that word that is using lechashev uh, um, uh, denotes uh, quite a bit of uh, intelligence behind it. It's not like just counting one, two, three, or adding numbers. It's it's way more. I love what you dropped, Andy. I have another one like that myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look for it. Yeah, it's very interesting. The way it works, actually, is just that, from, from what I look at it, it's just that people can talk through the giant, which is basically self-worshipping, because in a sense you can make that giant uh, giant with a hologram look like, uh, you know, Spider-Man, just you name it, or even um, uh, Einstein or whoever else they, they, they can think of, and then you can speak through the giant, which is similar to what they actually, what Ronit said, that how did they actually make a giant or, a star, or an image actually talk? So basically, they, they're trying to copy that now, and yeah, this is what actually brought it to mind.
Well, guys, did anyone else have any thoughts on chapters 12 and 13? Yeah, I have a very quick question for Ronit. Uh, Ronit, it's mentioned set apart on the scriptures that we read on the two chapters of, of this revelation. Does that, is, do you know if, if, if the Hebrew ver version actually set, says set apart or holy? Because you mentioned that the last time. Yeah, it's not. It says holy every single time. You're kind of like putting salt on my wounds here. <laughs> I I almost gave up fighting this fight. I, I don't. I have no idea why why they will take that word and translate it into set apart. Um, I mean, it's not the same thing at all. Not the same thing. By the way, proshim Pharisees proshim means set apart. Okay, so that's why it even more irritates me when I see it. We are talking about Kedoshim, Holy Ones. That's, that's the word. Um, and someone um, in the group sent me a direct message a few days ago and asked me what's the difference between Set Apart and Holy because in English it sounds the same. So I, I replied to him and I said, Holy is inherently set apart but set apart is not inherently holy okay in the bible um, set apart can be used and is used many times uh, for um, um, set like dif differentiating or setting apart unclean from clean like move like setting apart the impure the unclean the disease the contagious that's what that word is used for so so set apart is not inherently holy it could be impure it could be unclean um so that's why it's so important for me from a linguistic perspective that we keep saying kudoshim the holy ones does that actually mean that a person, it was actually referring to the saints of those, saint. that time being a saint without even being a martyr yet? Can, some, can a person be a saint or a holy without dying? I'm not saying that they should, um, they should die, but you know, you know how I mean. I mean, a, a person... You can you can um, refer to the prophets as being holy ones, or uh, to the Elijah, to Enoch, who ascended without dying. Uh, um, so uh, there are definitely examples of um, saints or holy ones um, in the Bible um, prior to <laughs> um, resurrection. Sure. Yeah, actually, all of yeah, Lisa says that, yeah, maybe they actually meant as sanctified, which actually could kind of make sense. Yeah, holy, sanctified. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, it's a different word in, in Hebrew for sanctified. So it's holy. It's holy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. So... And you can translate it to saints, okay, uh, holy ones. Again, we're talking holy as in like the holy family. It's referencing holy as in, yeah. Holy as in the holy city, um, as in um, 
spirit or spirit of holiness, um, as in Kodesh, uh, which is the um, uh, the internal um, part of the temple, and then Kodesh Akodeshim, which is holy of holies, um, and that's where only the high priest could go in once a year, right? Um, so um, it's a it's a very special word, and I don't know why they are not keeping the the literal translation, and they keep saying set apart. Well, Andy, I did drop in there uh, my meme I made regarding that these giant there are these giants uh, images that they're putting forth that will be holographic and change and so forth. And I also put in there Ascension of Isaiah, which chapter four, verse two, which is literally talking about this chapter in Revelation of the second beast uh giving uh doing po having power and miracles in every city and region and he will set up the image before in every city so ascension of isaiah talks about this this chapter of revelation rob i just i just love your memes you, you are the fast gun of the memes you know that <laughs> well again, i i make more when i collect the, i you know i have a whole bunch so i can i can do that but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have anything else to share what was uh spoken about before we close this out? And I do want to mention that the things that we bring up here is you know our our uh, opinions, what we look into, we want to share it to, to roundtable it. Uh, what I share is not what I think uh, is scripture, like 100% I'm right or anything like that. I'm bringing forth what I have dug up and what I see for us to dialogue and talk about because Revelation is one of the biggest, uh, obviously the, 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 the biggest books that are, are, are so... Uh, controversial that it, it can be interpreted so many ways and if everybody keeps an open mind in reading this book of, of how it can be without uh, getting lost in it so to speak and 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 do it with prayer and uh humility in with what you're reading and asking y'all to show you what you need to know i mean I, I could read the whole chapter and maybe only get one thing that I I, I was shown to uh, uh, think about or look out for, etc. So that's what I try to do is bring whatever it come comes forth to me, and if nothing comes forth, I drop in some nice little slides for people to see or follow along. So I hope those are helpful, and uh, and once again. Uh, that's why we open it up to a roundtable for people to talk, give, give opinions, and and liven up the discussion regarding that, because uh, none of us here claim to be the the scripture gurus. 
but uh, we're here to study them out and share the things that the Ruach is, is putting on our hearts. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Rob. Yeah, I feel the same way as Rob, and you know, thank you all for being here. And um, it was a really good study tonight. I, I enjoyed that, all different perspectives. And um, I forgot to mention before we started that uh, <laughs> I drove from uh, South Carolina to my current destination, and I did not bring a, a plug or a charger for my computer. So I've been working my computer this whole time with uh, I'm watching the battery just go. It's almost at the bottom. So it's going to shut down here real soon. Um, but anyways, with that, I'm going to... Well, the good news is I'm here with Andrews. I always jump on his computer, I guess. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's literally like two feet from me right now. But uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close for the night. And uh, for the last time uh, today, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. And I'm looking forward to next week. Yes, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Thank you so much for joining. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom, thank you.